Friends, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. Uh, I am your host. And uh, you have arrived at episode number 244 uh, of the show. And today we're talking to Jonathan Puddle, who is a repeat guest. He's been on the show before. And he's going to be talking about his brand new book. Uh, Here's the title. Mornings with God, Daily Bible Devotional for Men. Do you have questions? <laughs> because I read that title, and uh, if you if you've read Jonathan's previous book, this is not the title I was expecting. And so all of a sudden, I had a ton of questions, and I was like, Jonathan, we we need to talk about this book. And I got the book, and I'm about halfway through the book because it is a morning devotional book, and so I read it. Uh, I try to read it once in a while, sometimes every morning, maybe every other morning, whatever. Uh, but they're really short excerpts, but I'm halfway through the book, and the book is nothing like what I thought it was going to be after I read the title. So he talks to us about uh, how the publisher approached him about this book, um, why he originally said, probably not for me, but then came around and said, yes, this is something I do want to do. He talks about the story and the context behind uh, the origins of the book. So really interesting stuff. We talk about the Bible. We talk about reading the Bible devotionally. We talk about stopping reading the Bible for seasons in our lives. Uh, we talk about uh, masculinity. We talk about a whole lot of different things. And we also talk about how on his last visit to the show, uh, he got in trouble <laughs> with this church and the denomination uh, because his words, not mine, we attacked uh, the doctrine of original sin pretty savagely uh, in that episode. And so that caught the attention of some people in his church uh, which caught the attention of, I guess, people in the denomination. And uh, his words, again, not mine, there was a bit of an inquisition. <laughs> and he had to answer some questions. And so he talks to us a little bit about about that. But so good to have him back. Uh, he's become a friend. He really has. Uh, he's one of those people who I feel like after our initial chat, uh, I was like a year and a half ago, uh, I feel like we really hit it off and he's become a friend. You know, he's somebody who I feel, he's one of those people I feel like I could have a problem I could text him or email him or whatever, and I feel like he would be there in some way, shape, or form to help in whatever way that he he was able. So really good guy, doing really good work. All of his links are in the show notes. Also in the show notes, a link to my book, Rethinking Everything, a link to Patreon if you want to support the show and gain some community and some friends who are out here in the wilderness or the desert or floating around in the ocean or whatever it is that you want to say of deconstruction and rethinking their faith. If you're looking for friends who are in the same kind of place as you, uh, Patreon is a place to do that. Uh, you can start supporting at $3 a month and go as high as you can or want to. Uh, and if you can't do $3 a month, I get it. Email me, whatifproject.net at gmail.com, and I'm happy to gift you a subscription and uh, give you entrance to the community anyway. No questions and no strings attached. Uh, I really want this to be something that people can genuinely feel like they they are less alone on their journey. That's what the whole purpose is. That's what the whole point is. It's for people to feel less alone on a very on, on what often feels like a very lonely journey. So anyway, again, Patreon in the show notes. If you can't do three bucks a month, email me and you will be part of the community anyways. Uh, all that to say, that's all I got. Uh, this is episode number 244 with the one and the only Jonathan Puddle. Enjoy. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Uh, wish I on a pot, so go with the rainbow. Got a Tom Clancy. Uh, 
Wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other sin, most beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own future, we bring our own sand. Wherever we live is so bland. So much with high on demand. Tiptoe around throwing high lows. Feel like James Brown, love, we go in here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fall. We got a hands up, ready for a box. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are joined by a longtime friend of the show and previous guest, Jonathan Puddle. And so Jonathan, welcome back. It's always good to connect with you. Thanks, Glenn. It's so great to be back on the show. I, I must admit, uh, I got in a little bit of trouble oh. last time I was on the What If Project. Did you? Uh, Tell me more. It was a bit of an inquisition. Oh no! Uh, you may recall we we kind of rolled on on original sin. We did and <laughs> and attacked it pretty savagely. <laughs> and uh, some members of of the congregation where I serve were troubled, <laughs> and it got passed up denominational leadership. And there was sort of like a something of a theological inquest that was. <laughs> That took place. <laughs> I'm happy to tell you, Glenn. I maybe not happy. Maybe this is a disappointment to you, but it was ruled within the bounds of orthodoxy. Ah, oh, look at us. So, look safe, at us. Safe right safe here. Within right the, the bounds of orthodoxy, my friend. <laughs> in the window. Well, let's see if we can break the bounds of orthodoxy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We clearly are not trying hard enough. So we're gonna shoot for the stars this time around. Did they come at you with pitchforks and torches, or was it was it more mellow? Uh, a bit of both. I, I, I sat in a bit of a panel conversation to sort of defend myself. Oh my and then a bunch of stuff took place behind the scenes that I only learned about much, much later. There you go. But um, some folks left our, our congregation. Really? As a result of that. Really? And uh, that, you know, that's, that's painful and sad yeah, when people yeah. feel the need to disfellowship. And I, I don't take that lightly. Mm -hmm. And and for those people for themselves, you know, they didn't understand what we were talking about. And I and I have compassion on on that, right? Yeah. They they're afraid, they they feel that this is not uh good ground to be in spiritually. Sure, or, sure. I respect that. I disagree. Mm -hmm. uh, but the upshot is today we have a community. A much smaller church than we mm. were pre-COVID, mm. but man, there's a cohesion and a focus on love yeah. uh, that feels really beautiful. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so, for sharing that. Now, thank yeah, you for coming back. After I'm thrilled to be back. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you're here. So, uh, catch me up on your life a little bit. What have you been up to these days since the last time you sat down? Because you have a new book out, which we're going to talk about in a little while. But I know you also wrote a little like an essay for a choir book on parenting and things like that. So catch us up on the life of Jonathan Puddle since you last been here. Yeah. I mean, the big, big thing is we became foster parents about uh, a year and a half ago. Mm. And then, um, and, and our, our foster daughter had, uh, unfortunately, like many kids who've come through the foster system experienced some pretty severe trauma mm. and, so because I'm the flexible work-wise one, uh, mm -hmm. I've sort of, I sort of became increasingly a full-time stay-at-home dad. Mm -hmm. And so work and writing and podcast, everything really had to flex around the needs of our, yeah. our little one yeah. uh, who was around five years old, let's say. And so 
I think it, it's been a huge challenge for me to figure out how to be present and uh, responsive and caring for the complex needs of this child, mm-hmm. while also basically having a career as a creative hobbyist theologian type, you know, whatever you want to call people like yeah. us. And essentially those two different realms felt like they're mutually exclusive. Yeah, And so it pushed me back into therapy for myself. Mm. It's forced me to develop all kinds of new boundaries around protecting my, my creative spaces and my own sort of mental and emotional health, prioritizing rest. Mm. I've had to learn how to uh, take time off and, yeah. and ask for things from my wife and from my family. Like, Hey, I need, I probably need to get out of the house for four or five days, like once a month in order to be able to do all of these things. And, you know, my wife's been very, very supportive. The the, the biggest objective uh, obstacle has been me Mm. and my inability to prioritize my own care and all these kinds of things. So, I mean, ironic, right? When I've written this book all about (laughs) self-love and self-compassion and man, it's, it's honestly felt like almost like God is just laughing. Like, about all of us, right? We we yeah. we feel like we develop these areas of expertise, yeah. and I think it it's just ever it's just ever a, it's no more than a foot in the door. Yeah. <laughs> we're, whatever we're doing, yeah. Whatever we're exploring, um, obviously, God, the cosmos, it's big, and yeah. so uh, yeah. Somehow, in the midst of that, I did manage <laughs> to get another book out. Yeah. Um, and then as you, as you mentioned this essay on, on, on parenting, um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Jason, uh, Elam came to me and obviously he's a mutual friend and, yeah. um, he said, you know, would you be interested in, in contributing to this parenting deconstruction book that we're doing? And I said, oh, I would love to. Mm. And I sat down and I think I, I just kind of wrote it in one sitting. Obviously, you know, we went back and revised it together, yeah, but, yeah. um, it, that was probably one of our biggest lessons for us when we were deconstructing like 15 some years ago mm. was this thing about apologizing to your children. Yep. And, and interestingly, that has been a real key with our foster daughter because she's seen adults do very terrible things. Mm. And when I get down on my knees and apologize to her when I've lost my patience or when I've just, you know, whatever that feels often so counterintuitive still to so much of my programming yeah. to apologize to my child, to humble myself in that way, to get down on my knees, but what it does for her in terms of rewriting her, like, you know, her, her framework that adults are not safe, that adults yeah. are violent, that you know, yeah. all these kinds of things. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's so huge. That's been really- I, I have Jason on the show. Um, actually his episode dropped yesterday, the day we're recording this dropped yesterday, but he, um, we talked, we had a whole piece where we talked about apologizing to your kids based upon your, your chapter. Mm. And I was telling him about my daughter's also five and I'm in a similar boat as you and trying to, she's in kindergarten now, but you know, my wife is in school going to cosmetology school. And so when there's a sick day, like I'm home with her summer, I'm going to be home with her the whole time. You know, I pick her up from school, bring her to school, all those different things and trying to juggle that and be present for her while doing the things I do for the podcast and the other creative things I'm doing 
it, it's a it's a mental stress that I can't even describe because like I said to my wife, it's not like you can just flip a switch one day and be creative. Like it has to it has to be certain things going on in the atmosphere in order to have those juices flow. And it's just yeah. really difficult when every day feels like it's different. This and is so, my life. Yeah. So I found myself so many times like being much more less much less patient than I would normally be and having mm-hmm. to go to Jordan and say, you know, listen, you know, daddy was not very responsive to you in the moment. And I'm sorry that I was not as patient as I should have been, you know, just trying to explain to her, like, I have a lot of things in my mind that I'm trying to figure out in this season of life that we're in too. And she's always so receptive to it, but you could just feel the shift in, in our relationship when there's, when I get down on my knee and I apologize to her for even the smallest of things, like it just, it just does something to us. That's just so magical. And it's, yeah, it does. And it's crazy to me that we weren't, probably most of us weren't really modeled it, right? There was very much this authoritarian, parents are flawless. And I think the it seems to me like the fear was if we show weakness in front of the children, then they will no longer respect us, which then means that they will go and do harmful things to themselves. And so this is how we keep our children safe from harm is by keeping this facade of perfection and authority. That's right. Uh, It doesn't work. Because <laughs> we all went and did silly things anyway, <laughs> right? And and our children will continue doing silly things. That's just part of being a human being. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but but when we model to a child yeah. that a mature, responsible adult is one who owns their That's mistakes, right. well, then maybe we can start raising a generation of more responsible human beings. That's right. And more present and attuned. But man, I I feel you. I said to a friend the other day. I said. I think what it comes down to is you cannot schedule creativity. No, you can yeah, schedule yeah. grind. Yeah. You can schedule grind, but grind is not the same as flow. And you just can't schedule flow. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. We have to have we can have a whole conversation, you and I, about that because I I need to get your insight as to what you've learned for this uh for this season for sure. Uh but anyway, your book, you have a new book out. It's called Mornings with God. Uh, daily devotional for men. Da- daily and, and, Bible devotional. Sorry, yes, men. daily Bible devotional <laughs> for men. So with that title, I have already a thousand <laughs> questions. Okay, so yes, Bible devotional, uh, what does that mean uh, for men? You know, can women read this as well? Is this top secret male code? Uh, like when I when I told you before we hit record, when I first picked out this book, I'm like, this does not feel like a Jonathan Puddle book by just looking at the title. <laughs> so tell me about, about this book, what's going on with it, the origins of it, all that different kind of stuff. <laughs> it's so, it's so funny, man. Like uh, a, a good friend said it felt like a rapper who was selling out after his first big urban underground hit. Right. And then, and then now he's just got to pay the bills. And <laughs> I was going to go back to the way I used to, everything used to totally. be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the evangelicals are fine. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I've made peace. Yeah. Uh, so, so this one came up from a publisher <laughs> and uh, I mean, I turned it down. I was mm. not interested. I, you know, men's ministry, anyone who's served in church or been in church, right. it's universally hated. We're um, starting a twitch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a twitch in my eye. And then, and then Bible devotionals uh, in my experience, having run a Christian bookstore for years, are fluffy, mm-hmm. often kind of vacuous, and yeah. and often do really bad things in the realms of scholarship and, and theology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, this was not appealing to me in any way. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it was really only when did you uh, tell the publisher that did you tell them like this is not appealing to me or did you just kind of turn i wasn't quite i wasn't quite so bold but i was i was just kind of like um i don't know that i'm the right fit for this yeah gotcha Um, i feel like you found me on the internet (laughs) but then they were like well we really liked what you did with you were enough and um there was another devotional that we were talking about and I submitted some writing for that. And they actually cho- they chose a different author for that. But then they came back and they said, look, y- you would have complete control mm. over your content. Mm. Uh, all we ask really <laughs> yeah. is that you're not kind of offending anybody. But what that meant in their mind was mm. please don't promote violent old Testament um, kind of texts hmm. and so i was like oh well well that's fine that's fine it's right <laughs> on my alley right <laughs> exactly <laughs> i can do this in my sleep yeah so then i thought well that's really interesting so so i did it and and as as we got into it i actually began to really enjoy it now we mm-hmm. i don't know if we talked about this last time but i you know i put the bible down for a few years yep. and because i couldn't find love in it and yeah. i was frustrated with it and god had done a big renovation in my spiritual life and my my lived faith mm-hmm. And it took some time for my reading of scripture to catch up to that, mm. but it did catch up to that. And, and now, you know, I'm surrounded by Bibles. I, I read, I read scripture daily. Uh, I read quite a lot of scripture and I actually love scripture, mm. but it took a lot of help to get there. And it took a lot of uh, access to good scholarship and, mm. and, you know, folks like Pete Enns and Jared Bias doing really helpful work around how to f- how to read scripture in a Christ-centric way, how to move away from some really like literal historical readings and understand a bit more um, of the art form, as as well as coming to understand more about how the Jews read their own scripture and how they wrestle with it and fight with it and argue with it. And that was all very, very life-giving to me. So I Mm. thought, can I maybe write something then that's, that's scriptural? And uses scripture to focus people kind of on Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and it's really like grace based. And again, like the first book, I didn't know if it would work. I didn't know if I could pull it off. Yeah. And it wasn't until uh, some of my first readers came back to me and they said, "This is like a gateway drug." <laughs> I I actually feel like I could get back into the Bible. Yeah. with this yeah and then that felt like oh my gosh that that's a that's a really sacred privilege sure, you know sure. that people would reapproach a holy text yeah. um it, because of that kind of work so that, that's felt very very special and and surprising yeah. um yeah. and yeah it's, it turned out to be kind of fun yeah in the end. <laughs> for sure now can is this can is this can women get something out of this book like, is this something that, oh, yeah. like, so my wife I, pick like, up and be like, that kind oh, of I'm not a man. Content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, listen, brothers. Um, <laughs> I think I think I said something to the effect of as men or us men mm-hmm. twice in the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Aside, like, there's practically no gendered content in there. So, yes, women can absolutely read it. I, I know a whole bunch of my, I mean, my audience skews uh, female. Yeah, and yeah. many of them laughed and said, are we allowed to read? I said, please, uh, <laughs> okay. go right ahead. And and uh, many have said that they're that they're loving it. And, and you know, and they got it for their husbands and sons. And that's yeah. kind of the assumption, right? Like, like yeah. men don't buy Christian books, aside from like you and I. Uh, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's women buying them for their loved ones. Right. But yeah, the gendered content is next to nothing. The only yeah, time really that I lean into gendered content is to talk about toxic masculinity. Yes, yes, that that is in there, and I, I like you said because I'm like maybe a quarter of the way 
through and I don't think I've hit anything yet that says hello men like that kind of thing it's just it's it's very generic it's just really the cover is the thing that says men so I wanted to make it clear for our listeners that really anybody can can get something from this book but talk to us more about this piece about the bible because I love the way that you open the book uh literally the introduction the very first sentence you say I haven't always enjoyed reading the bible <laughs> in fact I gave up on it for years and I thought that was like Excellent way to start off a Bible devotional <laughs> book. It made, made me laugh. I literally laughed when I read the first sentence. But it's so true because I have, I have such a complicated relationship with the Bible, and I, I too, like you, stopped reading it for the longest time. Like it is, it is my life's work. I, I love it. I've studied it for for so many years. But these days, like I, I don't know, but I have a hard time picking it up to read it devotionally because there's a lot of baggage attached to it, especially in regards to it being devotional material. So I was wondering if you could take us a little bit more into that journey that you've had with the Bible and how it's evolved over the course of your life, like maybe what it meant to you way back when, you know, what brought up those complications for you? And then like these days, like what does the Bible mean for you in your life today? True. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I think that's a really important line of inquiry just Mm -hmm. because so many, I just, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to summarize, but I know that the accusations that get hurled at more progressive leaning people are mm-hmm. things like they're throwing out the Bible. Right, they right. want to pick and choose. Yep. And I don't really know people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I inhabit a bunch of different spaces, not just progressive spaces, but mm-hmm. I don't really know anyone who wants to do that. Mm-hmm. If people have put the Bible down, it's usually in pain and frustration, right. not like joy. No one throws it away gladly. Yep. Um, they put it down in grief Mm -hmm. and sometimes come back to it sometimes don't so i to to your question i you know grew up in a kind of evangelical family Mm -hmm. and my parents were missionaries and had a great childhood great upbringing but it was just kind of taken for granted that you would read the bible and go Mm -hmm. to church and do all those kinds of things so i remember reading the bible from a young age um Having you know multiple copies of my own Bible, I had I don't know if you had one of those uh, teen study Bible oh, NIV yeah. looked like paint it. splashes all over the cover. Yeah, man, I could go dig yeah, it out man. right just behind me. Yeah, <laughs> right. I remember like fl- and it had it had a couple of these like topical pages in it. And I I'm yep. 13. I'm like, oh, there's one about sex. Yeah. Yes. Tell me, <laughs> tell me anything interesting. I was all you know 13 year old me. Uh, I, I read all the short books first because that felt yeah. like an easy win, and then. You know, I think probably by the time I was 15, I had read the Bible cover to cover. And I mean, it was weird and scary and confusing and contradictory. And the only the only tools that I had were it's just all true. And true means historically accurate journalism. That's what true was understood as. True means this happened this way, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and you, and my job is to just believe that. That's it. All you got to do. And, and that's all I got to do. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm, I've always been way too much of a questioner mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and then sort of in my early adulthood, getting into systems thinking to be like, wait a minute. But this doesn't even like how can that literally be true when 
when one gospel says two people were there with Jesus and the next gospel says three people were there with Jesus. Like if, if we're reducing this to historical journalism, somebody saw wrong, right? <laughs> but we can't say that the Bible is wrong. Right. And so uh, if there is a problem, it must be me and I don't have enough faith and I just haven't been given eyes to see and, you know, all these kinds of contortions. And so that was just confusing, but it just felt like a dissonance that I just had to deal with. And so I just yeah. kept reading it and kept dealing with it. Yeah. It wasn't until we went through a, a kind of, you know, this deconstruction journey that I felt that I, that we really felt the spirit had initiated. We didn't have, you know, nobody was using the word deconstruction back then. Sure. We felt like God called us out into the wilderness. And the major sign of that for us at the time was we stopped fellowshipping in the institutional church yeah. we began gathering in our home with yeah. other believers that we discerned were on a similar journey yeah. there was a whole bunch of us kind of you know reading pagan christianity and frank viola and you know yeah. all the house <laughs> church stuff you know 15 years ago yeah and longer yeah. um and and it was in that time that i felt permission to put the yeah. bible down yeah. because no one was checking on me yeah and no one was going to say, how's your Bible study, brother? Uh, as if that actually meant anything, right? Yeah, what'd like, you, What'd you read this morning? Yeah. What'd you read this morning, right? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I would have probably just been lying through my teeth in the past or just would I'd, Christian lying, Christian lying. Well, you know, recently, you know, um, you know, and give these really non-specific terms. I got a whole Rolodex of answers I could easily give you. Totally, right? Yeah. Totally. Right this is really interesting. I've just been really yeah. chewing over, you know, just just really eating the word lately. Right. Um, <laughs> Letting it roll over my spirit. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> just, just percolating. Right. And so, okay. So, I mean, what happened in my faith was that I I fell in love with Jesus, with like, like the living Christ. Yeah. I had a really yeah. quite a powerful, and not just for like because of a single, like a divine encounter. It was really just like a, I, I was just captured. I captivated by yeah. Like if Jesus is God, then I'm in on God. Like, yeah. like this guy is great yeah. and uh, and countercultural and subversive and nonviolent and yeah. and and not all the things necessary that I was told he was. Yeah. So uh, then you know I kind of remember people talk about the Word, but but they always talked about the Bible. Yeah. But the yeah. Bible doesn't talk about itself as the word. The Bible yeah. talks about Jesus as the word. That's right. And it's and unequivocally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that's interesting. And to be honest, to be to and this will this will show my charismatic cards. I got back into the Bible because I had a word of prophecy from somebody that said to me, um, I see like you are standing in a field with a gun, but there is no bullets in your gun. And the bullets is the word of God, you know, and, and obviously this is all in the vernacular of that movement. Yeah. But the person basically just said, you don't have enough scripture in your life. And at any point prior, I would have totally rejected that word and just felt like that was just more judgment and more, you know, whatever, and not seeing me. But by this point, I had really fallen in love, as I said, with the Lord. And I had I had, had a kind of a renovation in my in my prayer life and, and in my personal lived spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, it would make a certain sense to maybe reapproach the scriptures and the tradition of my faith. Mm. I was very nervous because I, by the time I put it down, I was angry. It was full of violence, yeah. you know, go and kill the men, women, and children and animals. And I yeah. was just like, if, if God is saying that I'm out, Yeah. if that's God, I'm done. Yeah. So 
God had reconvinced me that he wasn't like that. Yeah. And when I picked up the scriptures again, they felt different. Yeah. And suddenly what stood out to me was not, you know, things like I will destroy the earth with a flood, but Noah, I care for you. Yeah. I will provide rescue. Now, of course, add a bit more scholarship, and I understand that every culture of that of that time period has a deluge narrative. Okay, yeah, so yeah. something happened, probably in some kind of historical event. But yeah. um, at the same time, their understanding of what constituted the entire world exactly. was this really, really tiny geographic right. zone. Yeah, um, and we can add in genetics and all kinds of other things in there. But yeah. but we can say, okay, well. Well, maybe the point is not that God uh, kills, but the point that is God rescues. Yeah. Okay. And so I started there, and that was sort of where I began to rebuild. Yeah. And then again, as I got, as I mentioned, got into other scholars uh, that really helped me to sort of pull back the lens even further and say, mm -hmm. okay, well, well, why is it there? Well, probably because the people who wrote it, they they believed it. Yep. They, they 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 attributed everything to God or to the gods. Yep. And okay, so does that mean that it's wrong? Or does it mean that actually this looks a lot like me, that I blame God, that when when the wheels start falling off my life, the first person I blame is God and the second person I blame is me. Yeah. And now I have this beautiful package of scripture that says that's actually pretty normal to blame God and to blame yourself. And neither of those are even full, the full truth. Yeah. But God is present. God cares. God provides a way out. God knows what you're suffering. And so now I can read back on even some of those kind of troubling texts. Yeah. And I don't see God calling men, women, and children to murder and genocide. What I see is men, women, and children misunderstanding God. And I just get to participate in a very long That's line right of reducing God to what I can understand That's and right, constantly right. having my mind challenged that God is bigger and better than I can ever guess. Yeah. So, uh, I love that. Yeah. And so now I, yeah. I do read scripture actually daily, yeah. uh, probably like, like the last year or two <laughs> years has been the first time in my life that I could actually honestly say, I do have a day, a daily <laughs> biblical devotional practice. And that's yeah. because I picked up like the, the book of common prayer. So um, I have a Celtic version from from a, a community in in the north of England and in, in Ireland, mm -hmm. and so yeah, it's I, I read a selection of the Psalms and the yeah. Gospels and the Old Testament every day, and uh, and then I lean back into Jesus and I say, okay, yeah. lead me to love and grace and all that. <laughs> yeah, I love that because, like you said earlier, like you you were this you've always been an inquisitive person. And I think back on my history with the Bible and like I went to a private Christian school from the fourth through 12th grades. And so we had Bible class every day. And I can remember having this mental battle because in my mind, I had a lot of questions, but I also began to realize very quickly, it's almost like a drug that if you, if you give the right answers, you get a lot of praise. And so I okay. began to learn what the right answers were in regards to all the questions that I had. And it was much better for me to give the right answers because I got the praise. Whereas if I asked the right. questions, I got the weird looks. And so I wanted the praise because I just fed this part of me that was lacking something. And yeah. so take that then into Bible college, into seminary. Again, I had a lot of questions, but I also began to learn the right 
rhetoric and the right language to use around these different topics. And like I said, it was like a drug because it became very addicting where once you get into a church, you start pastoring, like you put push all those questions aside and give all the right answers. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, like this is such an amazing man of God who has all these all this wisdom totally. to us about the Bible. And for the longest time, I just jammed those questions down. But one day they just all came unearthed. And that's when right. I, like you, I had to put my Bible away because I was like, I, I can't read this, these stories apart from the lens through which I've always read it. I've got to put it away. And so I put it away and I said, I'm not going to pick it up unless I want to pick it up. And mm -hmm. days went by where I felt guilty. I felt ashamed. Right. Yeah. I see the dust gathering on the Bible. I'm like, I really should pick it up. I'm like, no, I'm not going to pick it up because I should pick it up because I want to. Mm -hmm. The day where I wanted to pick it up again, and I started reading just the Gospels. Yeah. And I read the Gospels again and again and again and again and again. I began to realize that it's very different to read the Bible through the lens of maybe Paul or uh, the Old Testament or whatever than it is to read it through Jesus. Because then when I would go back, like you said, to the story of Noah, those other stories, and read it through the lens of what I've been reading in the Gospels for the last six months, I'm like, oh my goodness, I noticed all sorts of different things in this story that I didn't recognize before when I was just reading yeah. Noah for Noah. You know what I mean? I, I think, yeah, I think it is a, in, a, in a bunch of different ways. And I didn't create this idea, but I, I don't even remember who said it to me. But it seems to make sense to me that you, it's almost like the Genesis and the Gospels. It's like you can't understand either of them without the other one. It's yeah. like you've got to read Genesis and get, and get depressed and confused to understand <laughs> the significance of right of the gospels but once you understand and have captured the beautiful vision of christ you yeah. go back and read genesis and understand what god was trying and inviting and doing all since the beginning anyway and you're like oh it's way better oh it's way better yeah yeah and i mean that's you know so many pastors have had that kind of experience and it's, it's destabilizing and yeah. it's often like financially devastating and yeah. all these kinds of things yeah it was a strange experience to try to write biblical stuff in the fullness of my integrity. Yeah. And like, isn't that like, isn't that a horror, hor horrifying admission? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> but it's like, okay, what is, what do I think about this? And, and what do I think God, what is What do I think is the big story that God has been telling here? And what's the invitation yeah. from God in these passages and in these texts? That's yeah. one of my other it, questions. That's one of my questions I want to ask you is what did you learn while you are writing this book, because you, you go through, there's literally a different verse for every day or, yep. uh, or maybe one or two verses. A day. verses. Yep. And so as you are making your way through this, like once you hit number 50, 100, 150, whatever, is there anything that you learned about maybe your understanding of God or about God or about the Bible that maybe you didn't realize before you started writing the book? Did anything like get unearthed in your mind and your heart as you're writing this book? Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question, uh, which which people only ever say because they're stalling for time to answer. <laughs> oh, that's a really good that's question. Great no, question. That, no, I what, really what like it. Nobody's ever asked me. I, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question, uh, but it is also a great question. Uh, I, I think I was nervous about would I find enough that I felt like I had something to say, but mm. B would I find enough nice Bible? Would I find enough Jesus-y stuff? You know, and, and I'm saying that kind of facetiously, sure, right? Sure. Would I find enough proof texts for what I believe? Yeah. And I think what I found 
was, I think, I think I was convinced. I think I became convinced of the things I've already believed Mm -hmm. that I've come to believe that, that God is telling a really big story that is bent towards goodness and justice and redemption Mm. and every book in here every letter has got some echo uh, in increasing clarity and increasing beauty of this wildly redemptive arc and i think i was shocked by how much evidence i found of that Mm. and and that's not to say there's not evidence to the contrary you know, I Googled things like, you know, towards the end when I was getting desperate, I was like, okay, 50 verses, like 50, <laughs> top 50 verses on grace. And I sort of start reading, reading through Run out of material right? <laughs> bloggers, you know, and I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind anybody's, I, would, I wasn't minding anybody else's reflections. Sure, I was just, sure, sure. I was just looking for individual verses rather yeah. than, you know, having to kind of, you know, troll through the entire Bible over and over again, yeah. uh, verse by verse. And so I was finding common verses that people had written reflections on. And then I would take the verse and write my own reflection. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's there's tons of individual verses that are horrible, horrific, yeah. that are worthy of questioning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's there's so many others, and I think I found them in weird weird places, um, embedded in in strange little passages that yeah. I'd never noticed before uh-huh. on a sequential read through. Now I now I notice them in sequential read through. Like okay, the, one of my f- favorites now is this one in Second uh, Samuel, and now I can't remember it. The the reference, the lookup, but basically it says like, um, l- like like wine or like water. We're all we, we, our lives will be poured out upon the sand, mm-hmm. and we will all die, mm-hmm. and it's kind of bleak. Mm-hmm. But then the next line says, "But this is not what God desires." Mm-hmm. God and then and then the language is so interesting. Uh, it's a little different from translation to translation, but the the gist of it is God is constantly devising new strategies of redemption. Wow! Yeah. I'm like, come on. Yeah. Okay, so you can read Samuel and find all these kinds of things around you know moral failure in the life yeah. of religious leaders and blah blah yeah. blah 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 and you know and God being angry and and you know justice and revenge being meted out because of David's sin and the and the sin of Saul and all these kinds of things. Sure, those those are part of the narrative too, but maybe we shouldn't be using those to condemn ourselves. Yeah. Maybe we should actually be using those to expose error in the church to expose. A hypocrisy of leadership of of political leaders and religious leaders. Yeah. Uh, why have we? This is my question for you, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> why have we read the Bible for all these years and put ourselves as the villains when the villains are almost always political and religious leaders mm. who are still doing terrible things today? Yeah. And somehow they have escaped the microscope. <laughs> Average person. Right. Has ended up in self condemnation. Yeah. While pastors have continued abusing and manipulating and yeah. stealing. Um, and I say that as a pastor. Sure, sure. But I just, that's, I think that's the other thing that struck me is I put myself in as, as villain number one yep. for yep. all my years of Bible reading as a young person. And now I see God is not saying, Jonathan, you evil hypocrite. Yeah. Uh, 
which is not to say I'm not at times sure. hypocrite. I'm sure. keenly aware of right. my, <laughs> my, and my failings and the ways I fall short of love. I am very intimately aware of those. But God is saying, you leaders, you rulers, yeah. you people who trod on the hungry, you yeah. people who subjugate the poor. And I'm like, huh, yeah. how did I miss this? Yeah, I feel like the people that God's anger maybe is aimed at is not the people I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny that you said because just the other day I had a I had a conversation with Mark Driscoll on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, wow. And uh, he he was sharing different things regarding some Bible verses, and he was using them and gearing them towards these evil people, you know, these bad people. And I said, you know, is isn't it possible? <laughs> that the verse is not meant to be used against those people, but perhaps it's a mirror for yourself. And, and I challenged him on some things and, you know, and then he responded back because he didn't like that. And we went back and forth a little bit, but I think you're right. Like, I think that so many times, like I've been groomed in a sense for, for lack of a better word, all my years in the church to look at a passage that's coming against somebody and assume it's coming against me. Because God yeah, looks, God looks at you, and He sees right. you're you're a sinner. You you're, you know, you were born a sinner. All these different things, and that's just how I came to view myself. Right. I think it's a revolutionary idea. When yes, I can acknowledge the fact that I mess up plenty of times. I'm, I'm far from perfect. We just talked about to apologize to my five year old on, on more than one occasion every single week. But there, you know, I think there's something healthy about not always putting yourself in the situation of the evil person in the Bible. Right. And, and to do that, like that's not using the Bible as a mirror. Right. right. Using the Bible as a whip to flagellate yourself. Correct. Correct. Yeah, like, weaponizing so, so, the Bible against yourself. Against yourself. Right. right? I, I think that's what I would want people to hear. Because uh, even as I say things like I always put myself in the place of the villain. Yeah. And I know that like the, using the scripture as a mirror to to self-examine is actually the right way to do it. 100%. It's actually really important. Sure. Uh, using it as a lens of seeing God, of seeing self, of seeing, yeah. of, of of increasing vision. Absolutely. Yeah. But we can't use it as a whip for anybody else. Right. Least of all ourselves. Yeah. Uh, there's got to be a balance. There's got to be a balance of how you use the scriptures because if you weigh so heavily on that side, you, you miss out on on the the life-giving aspects of looking uh, putting yourself in the situation of somebody else in the bible i remember a seminar that was like one of our one of my most remembered experiences was in a, in a hermeneutics class we had this moment of this day of like meditation where we took mm -hmm. one passage of the bible and we put ourselves in each the story of each person and we had to meditate mm -hmm. on it for like 15 minutes at a time wow. and just to kind of imagine yourself like they're like imagine the, the smells imagine the sounds imagine the the feelings that you're having being this person yeah now switch yourself to being this person and just having it, it just brings up so many different feelings inside but i think if you weigh so heavily on that one side you miss the life-giving aspects of the other i love that i yeah. actually i had a, an experience kind of like that yeah. i've never been to to uh, israel palestine uh, area but i went to greece for the first time last summer just before the book came out and i had this profoundly visceral experience and i wouldn't have ever expected it um but what i realized in hindsight was 
when I think about the Bible and when mm -hmm. I think about the stories of the Bible, mm -hmm. I am only ever doing so in the context of sitting in a comfortable chair in my Western life, looking <laughs> at typed at like nice typography words yep. on a piece of white paper. And something about the whole thing is very sanitized. I'm usually in an air conditioned room. There's all these kinds of uh, sensual realities that I don't consciously think about, but yeah. that accompany my yeah. reading and even accompany my imagination of scripture. Yeah. I get off the plane in Athens and my wife and I are taking a taxi into the city and I'm looking outside at the hills and it's dry and arid mm. and hot and there are no big, big, big trees. Yeah. There are smaller scragglier trees you know it's not a place where you find pine forests i've lived mostly like in the north of the world northern europe northern canada and so on yeah and there's olive trees and there's fruit trees yeah. and it's hot and there's water and there's like humidity and i was suddenly struck this is the kind of climate where these stories all took place. Yeah. When Jesus is teaching, when anybody's teaching, when people are traveling, when people are walking, yeah. it was like this, yeah. with this kind of dust in their mouth and in their clothes and in their hair. Mm. And it almost felt like a rebuke. It felt like it was a profoundly impactful experience to imagine this heat, yeah. this daily life, is actually normal for most, for a majority of the population of humans on this planet. Sure. And certainly for the ancient world. Yeah. Uh, there's a good reason humans didn't congregate to cold places. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so that, yeah, that, that was like kind of like that meditative thing that you just talked about. It was very, yeah. it was very grounding for me. Yeah. And now I'm trying to kind of put my mind back there when I'm reading scripture. That's really good. Hey, do you have time for one more question? I know we said 40 minutes, but you have time for one more? All right. Okay. So one more question. I want to I talk about this idea of, of manhood because you, oh, yeah. you talk about how in the intro, how when you reopened your Bible, after having a, a renewal of your of your faith, like rethinking some things, you began to see a lot of things. One of them is about this new, new way to be a man. So uh, manhood, like I grew up, I was thinking about my own life. Like I grew up with a lot of weird stuff <laughs> regarding the biblical, like biblical manhood. Like I was addicted growing up to John Eldridge stuff sure. uh, for yeah. the longest time, Wild at Heart. Yeah. I went on a Wild at Heart retreat and she got to hang out with John Eldridge and he signed yes. my book, all different things, Way of the Wild Heart, uh, Sacred Romance. Yeah. And uh, Eldridge, I think is on a journey of his own because I, I've picked up some of his most recent books and it seems like his own theology for lack of a better word has kind of evolved and shifted and changed as well but still like that wild heart man is the type of of uh, manhood that's like ingrained in my head you know men are outdoors guys they're strong they're like the brawny paper towel guy you know they drink whiskey they smoke cigars they smell like wood like all these different things and i'm like for, for me like that's just not ever who i was like that never appealed to me, like I'd much rather sit on a beach by myself, <laughs> read a book or go to Starbucks with a cup of coffee or watch a baseball game, whatever, like the manly man stuff never really appealed to me. But because that's what I was told being a man was, I always felt like I was less than a man, yes. like something was wrong with me. And yes. so all of that to say, like, I think that people like yourself who are bringing fresh ideas to this topic, uh, Carolyn Custis James recently uh, kind of redid one of her books on manhood. I think that this stuff is so needed. So maybe take a, a little bit of 
of time to talk to us about how this book can bring some fresh insights to this topic and maybe mm-hmm. give us a couple of even examples on top, on top of your head. But how has your idea of manhood kind of evolved and shifted over the course of your time and also in writing this book? Yeah. Thanks for sharing what you did about, about your own life. Mine was very similar. Mm. Very, very similar. I Not surprising. A... You and I have a lot of similarities. <laughs> totally. totally. Um, you know, I grew I grew up in a sports obsessed culture in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and I'm not a sports guy. I'm yeah. not. I, I, I'm five seven. I'm not a big, muscly guy. I, um, my father, my parents were performing artists, mm-hmm. uh, theater directors, dancers. My dad later turned out is gay. You know, mm-hmm. these all these all these threads that I now see as okay, they did not contribute to Jonathan. <laughs> the <Potter> opposite of <laughs> typical macho man. But I felt that as a child, and I felt yeah, like yeah. I didn't fit. Yeah, and it and I didn't know what to do with it, but I it was painful. Yeah. And I and I remember often being lonely as a child and yeah. wondering what was wrong with me and why why couldn't I put this brave face and why was I scared of things? I was timid. Yeah. Yeah. And um it, it that's taken years hmm. to untangle. And uh and I think, you know, culturally everyone's kind of waking up to, okay, yeah. So there's a lot of different ways to be a man. Yeah. I wrote in the introduction, this just landed on me while I was uh, just meditating on this, that like our our male role model or like or like sexiest man alive or, or these kinds of like the picture of manhood when right. we were young yeah. was like Sylvester Stallone. Right. Right. Yeah. And now sexiest man alive is Paul Rudd. <laughs> like that is insane. Yeah. Like that is such a weird pivot yeah, right yeah, and yeah. what do we t- and, and why do people love paul rudd because all indications are from characters and from what we know about his life that he's a kind compassionate funny man and he's yeah. handsome yeah but he just seems like a genuinely decent human being yeah and suddenly those soft values have become way more of interest than chiseled bodies and so yeah. on and and the and because attendant with chiseled bodies was coldness stoicism in in a stoicism not in a philosophical sense but in in the i'm cold with no emotions like a cold Uh, wall yeah i'm cool right like like that's what it meant to be a guy when you're young was to be cool and cool meant unemotional not fussed about stuff not showing real interest oh yeah that's do you like that girl yeah she's all right yeah it's all right you know like all this kind of stuff so yeah so everyone's figuring this out, right? And you've got you've got a lot of people. Then obviously the 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 gender and and sex aspect coming into that, and some folks saying actually I don't I don't fit the gender that was assigned to me yeah. at birth, and I and I think that's a really important journey for many people. Yeah. At no point did I question my gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't understand why I didn't fit the social mold of manhood around me. So fast forward all these years. Uh, Man, Wild at Heart really blessed me yeah. as like a teen man, young guy. Yeah. And the way of the Wild Heart impacted me even more. That book helped introduce me to the idea of like your inner child. Yeah. Dealing with that that wounded part of yourself that never gets healed and you just stuff it away. And until right. you call it out and you 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 deal with that, like it's that was life-giving for me. Huge. Absolutely. Huge. And for, for me, God kind of, I, I began to see all these different people that God had brought into my life to father me in yes. different ways in different seasons of my life. And that yeah. was powerful. So powerful. So powerful. So affirming and, and validating. And um, Okay. So let's say all of that's the backstory. 
What do I what do I see Jesus doing in scripture? I see Jesus confronting evil, mm. knowing the likely cost to him mm -hmm. in his life, like he's going to die. And he does it anyway because it's right. That is brave. Yeah. That is courageous. Yeah. That is uh, advocacy. Mm. That is compassion and empathy in action. I see, uh, you know, a, a group of, of religious folk catching this woman in adultery and, you know, dragging her to the feet of Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, some stories would imply that maybe she's nude, that she's been literally caught having sex. Yeah. And so here we have Jesus sending everyone away from her, yeah. covering her shame, and then dignifying her. Yeah. Right. What, what, what do we not see? We do not see a man taking advantage of his position and power to be like, oh, well, why don't you come upstairs with me? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I see a man leveraging power for the sake of others. Yeah. I see a man who children love and flock to yeah. and who literally rebukes people who don't understand that children are important. Yeah. Yeah. Like his own best friends. He's like, stop this. Yeah. He don't it's, get it. It's about the children. Right. Like, <laughs> you idiot. The, Whoa, right over your head. You idiot. <laughs> right. Um, like that's a great litmus test. Yeah. Do children like you? What does it say about you as a human being? If children flock to you or don't flock to you. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of factors in there. Don't, sure, don't sure. take that as, as a warning. It's not sign. a blanket statement, right? I not understand. a blanket statement. But, right, right. But that's interesting. Yeah. And so all these kinds of things I, I began to kind of, uh, see about jesus and i thought well jesus is a man ostensibly we're, we're led to believe he it's, it's he, if he got circumcised he must have had a penis right and so <laughs> we can go that far yeah uh and that's not to put masculine imagery onto god obviously sure. god is sure. far transcendent of of our our frameworks for gender but yeah um but but again I think it could mean something helpful for us if we can if we can come to God as father and which is not which is not at the exclusion of mother or of non-binary others. Sure. But fathers have not always been safe for us. Yeah. Fathers have sometimes been violent and yeah. angry or distant or or deadbeat. There's been all kinds of fathers. I happen to have a really great father though he uh, had major uh, depression and issues and wasn't present for a lot of the years even before my parents divorced because he mm. couldn't be. So for me, uh, learning to coming, finding the courage and boldness and faith to come to God as father and say, hey, dad, uh, I need something. Yeah. That's the hardest thing for me to do, mm. to admit need, to ask for need and to go to a dad figure for it. But as I've come to do that with the heavenly father, it's transformed me because again, I have a, a source of dignity and someone giving me their name and yeah. saying, you are part of this family. Yeah. And it's also amazingly been reflected in my own relationship with my, with my, my flesh and blood dad. Mm. And as I've practiced becoming his son again, mm. 
it's it's helped him become my dad again, yeah. which has again impacted my relationship with God again. Mm. And and so I think that that uh, it's good to th- to say okay, none, none of none of this biblical, none of this masculine language is exclusive mm-hmm. or is to the exclusion of any other alternatives. Yeah. But all the reasons that would make us say I can't relate to God as ma- as as a male, those are those are worth excavating. Yeah, and those are worth exploring and so you know now i get to say to my sons because i have two sons and two daughters uh i get to say to my sons what kind of men do we want to be let's look at jesus and see what kind of man he was Mm -hmm. and like hanging on the cross at the extremes of human suffering he's caring for his mother yeah that's good that's a good kind of man to be yeah um so I tried to write the book kind of with that in mind. Yeah. Um, let's find new ways to be, to be men. And yeah. I, I, you know, what's funny too, uh, just coming back to, to Eldridge, I was not an outdoorsy guy. I was not a camping guy. <laughs> right. All of that stuff was distasteful to me. Yeah. It, it so happens <laughs> that I've become an avid outdoorsman. That's so funny. But, but I wouldn't, but there's no, like that does not have to be part of anybody's journey. It just so happens. And it's, and, and that itself has been in some way healing for me. Yeah. For the first time in May of 2022, I went, I could, I did a little canoe trip out to an, an island a few hours north and camped alone, completely on my own. Yeah. And I'd never done anything like that in my life. And it was a little scary. And I ran into some challenges that I hadn't foreseen. And I had to figure them out yeah, and I did yeah. and it felt great. That's and awesome. it was like, God was just like, Hey, whatever those challenges are, yeah. whatever your life looks like, uh, you can figure out new ways to be a man and you can call it good. That's right. That's funny. That's, you know, when, when you said about the outdoors thing, I, when I went on that retreat, it was at a, it was in Colorado and was up in the mountains at this retreat center. There was just so much outdoor stuff. I remember feeling like, there's part of me that feels like I'm being healed here, but there's part of me that feels like I'm giving back into that lie that I have to be this in order to be, yeah. uh, in order to be a real man. And I, I remember coming away from that retreat feeling so fulfilled, but yet at the same time, so confused. And what I ended up doing is like you said, and, and what Eldridge even points to in his book is to always go back to Jesus and see what kind of man Jesus was and let that be the mold that you try to fit yourself into. So I think that everything that you should I mean, we all have to become carpenters, uh, right. you know, but, but, um, but yeah, all, all those other, those soft things we can say, yeah. that's, courage, that's bravery, that's boldness, that's strength, yeah. that's beauty, that's tenacity. That's right. That's, those are all, th- those can all be manly characteristics. Yeah, that's right. Hey, Jonathan, we're just about out of time, but this has been, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for taking time for me and for our listeners, uh, for the work that you're doing this book. Uh, you're you're amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. My pleasure. Always great to connect. Yeah. And real quick, uh, two things. One, are you working on anything new that you want to share with people? And number two, I know you mentioned it last time, but in case people missed that, uh, best place to go to connect with you online. Yeah. You can find me on jonathanpuddle.com and on all the social media at Jonathan Puddle. Uh, and the podcast is called The Podcast. Um, non-religious perfect. conversation. Perfect. Name. Perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. Podcast, non-religious conversations <laughs> about uh, life, love, and God. Mm-hmm. That's that's continuing. Got lots of new and exciting guests coming up on that. I definitely have a bunch of books in the works. Um, 
couple that I'm not ready to talk about, but a couple, yeah. uh, you are enough. I'm still working on the kids and teens version of that. So those yeah. will be coming out at some point resources for parents just to help teach uh, their kids to love themselves. Cool. And I'm actually, actually just starting to start running seminars around you are enough. So sort of one day events. So some of those are going to be available online, but also yeah. I love to travel and just spend time in, in people's communities and homes. So if you want to hang out, uh, drop me a line. There you go. Awesome. Well, I'll put all the links in the show notes and we'll do this again, I'm sure. Love to. All right, man. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. Just mind don't mind, don't play by the rules. I'm going to make sure that I play my cards right. Intuition gave me signs that everything is all right. Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls are moving and it's getting tight Tight. The shuffle getting real. real. I hope it lives on something good. I'm all in for the kill. kill Sometimes kill, it's getting kind of scary. I'm here for the thrill. Decisions on top of decisions, like I chose a pill. The bottle getting kind of empty. Temptations made us presence in the air. It's kind of tempting. Shortcuts after question, but it got on my attention. Uh oh, and I forgot, but did I mention? Looks like I won the game, made my decision. I listen. I listen. I listen. I've been busy searching for you, yeah Trying to figure out if it's true, true Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah Just mind, don't mind, don't play by the rules, no Kept it on the low Gotta let it flow Gotta let it go, yeah On to something new, yeah Trying to play it cool Quit with all the tools, yeah Maybe you're my calling like I'm on flight at 28 Manifesting everything I take, it's not too late Running to my purpose like I'm rushing to the gate Of course it's in my planning and it's also with my faith At the end of the day, and we gon' find a way It's a fact of the price that we pay Everything shine through the gray Nothing gon' break through the shade Nothing gon' break through the hate Everything all that we claim Hit the red dot that I aim no missing, I'm focused, no slipping, I'm growing, no talking, just showing, no stopping, keep going, yeah, I'm just trying to break codes, ain't nobody I owe, this the life that I chose, and I'm blessed for it. I've been busy searching for you, yeah, trying to figure out if it's true, true, don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah, just mind don't mind, don't play by the rules, no. Kept it on the low, gotta let it flow, gotta let it go, yeah. On to something new, trying to play it cool, quit with all the tools.